0: Hi folks, welcome to another edition of the Veteran Podcast Archive with Lawrence and Ross here at WorldW2Nation.com In our third and final episode of speaking with Captain David Render about his experiences as a tank troop commander with the Sherwood Rangers Yeomanry in World War II we discovered the differences between the Allied and German tanks the German Tiger and Panther's vulnerabilities the reality of running these gigantic machines which meant fuel and a hell of a lot of it We also learn how best to force the German tanks out of hiding and the way in which David would employ his troop to deal with this threat. We hear about a few very close calls including a friendly fire incident with Hawker Typhoons and discover the reality of mail posts and censorship on the front line as well as finally discussing the history behind the tactics taught to David at Sandhurst during his time there.
1: those calls at Cleve, for instance, just inside the German border. I was taking out the tanks for about a week, or a week. I was in a armoured car, a Humber armoured car. I was L.O. the liaison officer to the car, which meant I did fuck all. I just drove behind me. Uh, I did not do anything. And we were in a line waiting to go through Cleve. There were houses on the left, like a pair. And then a gap for the garages, weren't another pair. So there was like a gap between them. And I'm sitting in the study on the car with a bloke, the driver. Nothing happened much, just listening to the radio. Not being told to. You. The whole line of the station, was suddenly, whomph. one of the tanks exploded just in front. And then, woof one of the tanks behind exploded. We were in the middle of the column. We didn't know what was happening. And then next thing, I saw great bang. And inside of this little car, i got the window, and it went all white, bright, white light. So I put my head up and I looked around, and there was a Yak Panther there, and he was only between, it was a distance, see where my wife's car is, about that distance away. And I'm looking straight down a bloody barrel. And he's just fired at me. But because I'd only got such a little vehicle, he missed because he couldn't get his gun down low enough, I suppose. And this was an AP round. And on the back of an armoured piercing round, the Germans used the same as we did, had a phosphorus thing burning. and That showed like a little white light so you could see where it was. And that white inside... Was the white line as if it passed over my nut? It could only have been the foot. Couldn't have missed me by much. But then they fired the one shot and then pulled out and backed up and went off. And he was going up and down the back gardens of these houses, through mm. the greenhouses and all those of the garden. And then just turning around. And when he saw a tank, he fired at it. See, any, any vehicle opposite the gap, yeah. they fired at it and then pulled out and went off. And I didn't get a chance to do anything about it because he had gone
2: before I could do it. Did your crew ever nickname a tank or anything like that, or ever paint on it? Or because obviously you see all these, these modern films where they're tarnishing up their the tanks answer, and this the stuff. The answer
1: to that there's a film called Fury on it, moment. Mm, that's that's what I'm referring to. Quality. You know why? There's a time when a new boy goes into their squadron, into their troop, mm. and the sergeant hits him and knocks him down. Well, if that happened in our army, and also for that matter in the American army, because Patton did just that, General mm. Patton, and they demoted in for a bit, I'll tell you, they brought him back again. But the fact was that if our blokes did that, there'd be a hell of a row. He'd be immediately sent back to England and out of the way. We just did not go on like that at all. And as for all this sort of shouting and carrying on, it wasn't like that in a tank at all. Nothing like that at yeah. all. So now you come down to painting things on the side. Well, the Americans had a lovely idea. They had a white star painted on the side. You know what? They suddenly realized they've got to get rid of that a bit quick. So they painted it out. You know why? Because the Germans used it as a name. You see it with a hole right through the middle of it. So we had names on our tanks. I had aim, archer, and arrow. My one was aim, and I lost that. When we got the tanks, we didn't—we hadn't got time to paint names on them. And, and also, of course, they were quite sort of rough and ready, you know, everything was. We yeah. were too dirty.
2: We were all dirty. That was going to be another question. Do you ever get, obviously, living in that sort of environment, obviously constantly in the field? Did you ever get any opportunity to wash, hygiene, oh, all that yes. sort of?
1: Yeah, we washed. And a little thing you with know, a mm. like a canvas bucket thing. You know, on a on a tripod. We shaved and kept ourselves clean. We couldn't have a bath. You slept in your clothes. It was the only clothes we had But what we stood up in because most of it had been shut up and was on the fire.
2: So all pretty much all the kit you had was on the back of the tank? Yes, Yeah, yeah. shut up. hand side. There's something you mentioned, actually, at um, the Chalk Valley History Festival. You said you when well, engaging, I think, it was a tiger tank, you'd try and hit the exhaust pipes.
1: You're now asking me, how the hell did we find the bloody German tank? Mm. Don't you? Well, a tiger was lethal, and it had certain disadvantages. Like, for instance, the gun took a long time to traverse. They never told us that. We just sort of had to find it out. But it would take a long time. And what we did was, we would try to smother them with fire. As soon as we saw a tank, we would fire at it. that
2: everybody, regardless of what type of tank it was? Everybody,
1: yeah, everybody. With HE and whatever. And the idea was to try to break their prisms and things like that. And then, Two things, really. The Tiger and the Panther had, uh, of course, a fan system to clear the air out of the tank. If you realise we had a a, a case, say, the Sherman, you see, look, see there, that's the fan. It runs right the way around there. And you're standing in a permanent gale here, blowing through. Sucking that because when this thing fires, the fumes that came away from it with asphyxiate you. And in the case of, incidentally, in the case of this, see that's the breech guard they mm-hmm. call that. We used to chuck that away. We didn't have a breech guard because it was in the way, and you had to keep well clear when the gun fired because it would come whang back. If you got in the way of it, it'd smash you up completely
2: because it comes back with a terrific speed. Bang. Like Where so you was that pretty much near you That you yeah, be Christ. Oh yeah. You'd be I'd, on this side, I'd would you? I'd be standing here. Yeah.
1: Standing right beside it. We stood up all the time. We were standing up. It was ever so towering. Mm. I mean only had a like a little round thing to sit on. And that bracket I was talking about is this holding this machine gun he's got on top of it. We didn't use a machine gun. No, I mean, as far as this was concerned, the all tanks had that. Well, our fumes came out the back here and caused dust if you were not careful. We used to have a thing to shoot the shooting back. But the inside of a tank is like a boat. It's got water and bloody fuel and petrol and all flopping about. So consequently, the fumes that come out in the case of the German tanks, which were all petrol, not all of ours were a lot of ours these. A lot of were petrol, the uh, this was a um, and some of these were. this is a petrol this is a chrysler five you see there are five chrysler engines there's one engine they're vertical there's another one here on that bank on this bank see those are the pulling wheels there you'd have one vertical two like that two like that and the ones that were upside down that's what caused the trouble if the bloody thing installed then you couldn't start it again for about 20 minutes. And in 20 minutes, you were a dead duck. That's why I bailed out. But in the 1418 war, they didn't have a fan. They had more casualties from blood being asphyxiated in the tanks than they did by being shot up. So they learned that lesson. Well, the German tanks had on the back here a fan, a a round thing with a fan sucking air and blowing it vertically straight up. Well, that did two things as far as we were concerned. One was that if they were in a wood, hiding in the bushes, you'd see the bushes quiver. And that told you where they were, because they were very clever with their camouflage, the same as we were. But the point was that that was one of the disadvantages, from their point of view. It disturbed the leaves. And we knew then where they were. If we didn't know where they were, I used to put the chap in the 17-pounder, out to one side in a like a lance corporal we had And it was a fully manned tank, of course. And the the seventy-fives would all be with me to the left. Seventeen pounds would fire, making make him fire. He put out a huge flash, which the Germans immediately fell for every time, and fired back at him, wasn't very good for the bloke in the 17 pounder, but on the other hand, it told us where the bastards were. So, that was the other way of discovering where they were, because they were very tricky buggers. Now, the thing was, though, that these fans would also be full of fumes from the bottom of the tank, petrol fumes. So we would then fire AG at them as much as we could. And they would very often set those fumes on fire. And you see the flames go straight down into the tank and sit on fire. And the other one we would try to do would be having fired at them and upset them. The boat might well back up and turn to go and come out another place. And as he turned, we'd go for his tracks we would try to knock his tracks and damage his tracks. Once you damage their tracks, they gave up. Also, don't forget, a tank doesn't do uh like your car, uh miles to the gallon. It does gallons to the mile. So in round figures, they were always short of petrol. In other words, a tiger would only do about three or four gallons to a mile. And um i will don't forget i used i think it was something like six thousand gallons of diesel a month a, a week in here in, in sherman terrific mm. fuel consumption another thing that you're looking at here you see those tracks well you see the shape of that yeah well that was very good really because if you had them with a straight bars like this one here see well can you imagine on the camber on the roads that they had in the continent, and if it was all muddy and somewhat icy, these things wouldn't have any sideways grip, would they? These did. And that was a good thing if you've got a tank with those tracks on, because they held it up.
2: Did the Germans have similar sort of tracking? To that one? No, they always had straight ones. Because you were um, an independent battalion? Tank independent regiment. brigade. Brigade, sorry. Obviously, you're uh, a... Given to a lot working alongside a lot of different infantry troops, um, different regiments, etc. Was there a particular one? Was it first of all? I suppose what I'm trying to ask is: was it difficult to work alongside them? Because obviously, communication. Once you're in a tank, and these troops are scattered all over the place, trying to communicate and coordinate. Was it?
1: Uh, was it there's dif- no problem in that because we would have our distinct instructions as to what we've got to do. The colonel would be called up to the brigadier, uh, who had already got instructions from the general, um as to well we're gonna go for whatever it was. And the um thirty corps is going to Horrocks that would be, um is going to lead. And um in 30 Corps, there would be various units like the Guards Armoured Division, uh, 8th Armoured Brigade, Sheryl Grange. We've got 47th DG, 15th, 13th, 18th, and the, uh, the order would go down to the, the um, from, from uh, the Brigade HQ. Uh, well, I think uh, the Sheryl Rangers is supposed to be. Stanley right will do it. So with that, he comes back. He then calls the squadron leaders in says, "Right, well, what we're going to do is we're going to go to and then get the map out and show them where they're going to go. And um, then he would say, he um, Stanley Christopherson would say, "I'd say, well, um John Sampson, you'd better be in the lead, and um, the other two people." Either did another job or they were supporting us, a squadron. So then the squadron leader, having got that information, he'd then come back and he'd have an order group with the officers, his his troop officers, and he would then say, Right, well, we've got four troops, but it's your turn, David, you've got to leave tomorrow.
2: It constantly rotated, them was that the he tended to? Yeah,
1: some of them well, that was the problem with when John went firstly around a twist in um, he suddenly mentally gave up and he'd been at it since the desert and he an and um. We got this other bloke called Bill Enderby, who'd been wounded on it. He came in and was made this And I didn't get on with him. And this prat told me I've got to have a petrol tank. And I said, I don't want a petrol bloody tank, I want a diesel one. Because I knew what to do, you see. And it was obvious he hadn't got a bloody clue, really, but he was a major and was it. So he said, Well, you've got to have it. I said, you be lying like, out I'll lose it. I don't want it. We haven't. So he said, that's what you're going to lose, and that's it. So uh, with that, I said, "Right, well, all right, I'll lose it. Well, of course, I did lose it in the way in which I told you where we got the bloody thing stuck. The driver got it. That didn't keep the reefs up and it stalled right broadside on to the Jerry Line. And I realized that we were in a dangerous position, so they ordered a bailout and we'd the Then I jumped into the corporal's tank, chucked him out, and took over his tank, and then we went on.
2: Was that I with ch- your crew or was that with his? Would that still be his crew? crew?
1: No, I, I chucked his crew out. Then, of course, we Went on and um, in his tank, and then he got another tank. And we captured Lockham. And then, to give you an idea, that was in the afternoon one of whatever day it was, I not And mean, then it's on record. It was at one thirty. we had to piss off to do Hengala. So they just drove us. The death really you know one after another it was and i don't forget as i say on average in the normandy we got three hours of sleep For we were in action we did 10 days in five
2: days out she sort of. did get some did you did get some sort of break at some point oh yeah in terms of communication with home did you get things like mail and post was that mail as in were you oh, able yes, to write yes. home and you got received oh, yeah.
1: I, to me, but... so, I don't really know where I'm not them. But the letters I wrote to my mum. Here they are. An active service for the censor on oh. the rest of it.
2: I'm guessing they were all they would all be censored, would they? Well yeah, but I I was the censor.
1: And, uh, look, that's 21st of January 1945. Give you an idea of how I wrote. I was, I've got paper here, obviously. And, um, and the sort of stuff I wrote was absolute rubbish. Here. Thanks for your letter, Mr. So will a rather of there. Very pleased they Certainly not in His Auntie Mary and Co. They stopped the packet. Has it busted the whole place? Oh, that's yes, because they got bombed. Told me that, um, got gone. Uh, I, I sent him a message the other week. And I hope he didn't buried in the debris. And she had some documents. That's my old man and my sister, clearing up the mess. it. First days See, yeah, I didn't see my brother for three years. Nothing startling has happened in the past four months, nor anything like date. Because I am at a place near Brussels. Life is extremely illuminating. Trips to Brussels, and various shows. This is all bullshit. That's just before the battle of the Gulf. I put this, so i continues continue to live our lives in peace with Gentlemen, rising in the morning and no work during the day for nothing like it. I think you better all leave England and come to the Western Front for a holiday. Brackets, I shouldn't. <laughs> I just returned from <laughs> I've never read this, I can't remember The Road to a Perfect Menace, like Glass, always because it ever so cold, you see. he lives lose and he loves it. It's No paper. I'd probably take three or four
2: days to write this, you see. How many letters would you send? How, how frequently, sort of? I'd that long, no. Quite
1: a few. Hmm. I tried to sort of keep in touch. The main thing was, mm-hmm. we never discussed the bloody war, we just sort of made laughing all the time. Because you see, we knew that they were sh- shitting bricks all the time as to whether we were going to come back. When's this one? December 44, that one. Cigarettes on sale costing eight shillings. It's all frolics. Oh it's a typhoon pilot. but I said some rather rude things about his fellow pilots. rocketeers because we got shut up by the typhoons. That's another strong of I've had a certain amount of experience, which left me with a seemingly dry and that Cost me a square inch of thinning scalp. And tea time. You see, I never really told them what it was all about, but that—the story behind that is that we were in the line, and suddenly the infantry came pouring back. And I said, "What the hell is this all about?" And my squadron leader said, "I don't know, but stand firm, don't move." So I said, "Okay," so we just stood there, and well, next minute. Is going, there was an airplane coming down on fire, straight at us, like that, you see. And I caught up on the, on the, actually, the other tanks, and I said, Batten down quick, because that is going to hit us. So, with that, they did. But I looked again, and suddenly the airplane was over there, and there were two things with smoke coming out, coming straight at us. And what this thing was was a typhoon, well, a ruckus thing, I suppose. And there were two or three on the deck. And what actually happened was that the infantry had been in position in front of us. And we were sort of behind these shoot, should the Germans break through us. And there were tanks about, and the infantry got shot up. And apparently, all of the Duke of Wellington's regiment and all their officers were killed. And if you talk to some of the blokes in the army, you'll hear them say fucking officers in But you see, when it comes down to it, when the officers aren't there, it the all becomes a bit different because the men need leading at all times. And there are occasions when you hear over corporals rising up or sergeant doing this. But generally speaking, the infantry weren't like that oh, They were absolutely shit scared. We used to call them the PBI, poor bloody infantry. Ashen. they come back from the line front. Absolutely ashen. Frightened We weren't frightened, we just were numb to it, you know? I don't I don't really think I was I was frightened on occasions when you see a bloody grey tiger facing the but on the other hand you know we knew how to deal with them but the thing, of it, the thing was that these infantry guys came rushing back in their brand gun carriers and running and, and i shouted out what are you doing where are you going oh, I didn't bother, they just pissed off. so i called up and i said well i don't know what's going on so it's, on said, I don't either, so stay there. Next thing is that it the appears that they've gone back and they said, Tanks, there's tanks. And there was this. And so, with that, they told Tech, Tech HQ, they told Tech HQ, they alerted these early typhoons and took off. We didn't bother about putting any recognition on the back of our tanks. Because well, they saw tanks down there, and in the heat of the moment, they said, Right, so with that, they shot us up. The Duke of Wellington's were demolished after that. But, I mean, these things happen, and fortunately, they missed most of us. I mean, one boat got shot up. Got out. That's how it went. Well, the tactics, of course, basically. The story behind this thing, or the detail behind this, is this. In 1830, there was in South Africa, there were the um, Zulus, and they had a chap, a, a, a chief, called Shaka. And this old boy, he said, look, it's quite wrong to have an sling it like that, because you are unarmed. So what we do is we'll all give them all short swords, which they instantly call an o'a. Because when they stuck it in the blade, he went, oh and when they it down, he went, oh so they called it nuar. An anyway, the point was that he revolutionized their way of fighting. And what he did was he said, Well, imagine a boar's head with the horns. Well, our main army is down in the bloody bushes or the um, grass, and then we'll send out two smaller scouting armies to hit the enemy in front of us, so that they're looking left and looking right. While they're doing that, the main army gets up and goes in and gives them one. And that was being taught in my day, in 1942, at Sandhurst. That's the way to fight. You send that and you do a swoop down. Well, it's the biggest load of knackers you've ever heard. all my life because if you went sideways onto the Jerrys, you were an immediate dead duck. And you couldn't do it like that. The only way to do it was the way in which I'm just saying. We fire at them and them. When you're being fired at, them, you cringe and then you get on top of them and give them one. So I wrote to I wrote broken Sanderv i told you you're teaching a load of knackers <coughs> it's the same as we had a bloke came out there were four or five online in Normandy. And we pulled back and these chaps appeared and he said well we've got some good news for you that what is it because we were having a bad time in Normandy Normandy is very very tough so they said, "Well, we've got a new ammunition now, which is definitely going to concentrate, going to penetrate the German tank for that." But I said, "Tell me, um, what's it all about? I mean, for instance, uh, what about the flash? Is it going a flash on it?" So they said, "Oh, yeah." And I said, "Well, I don't know. I said, "Is it more than the?" 17 pounder or less? Well, it's much more powerful, so therefore, of course, it's got to be more flash. Right, I said, well, in that case, you can stick it up your ass because we don't want it. Thank you very much. didn't like that at all. Um, how they got on over there, I don't know. They, I don't think they never thought about it. But that was the sort of thing that happened, occasionally. The reality between what they you know even though they'd had the experience of fighting in the in the desert and all that a lot of it, well, it wasn't put to effect. The other thing is, of course, it's such a pity is that the information that we gathered, if you like to put it that way, has just been sort of lost. I don't I don't know where they see they bring out this new stuff. Take hey, hey, this as an example. Tanks, as I said to you, don't fight at night. Ah, but we've got a new machine now, we can fight at night. I said, Well, said I am one of these meetings, I in the army. I said, And the brigadiers and colonels and the rest of the army. I said, What well, I don't understand about what you're saying. But where to you get the men from? I mean, we were training in the war something like forty blokes a fortnight as troop leaders. troop leaders. We ran out of troop leaders. Ran out of that rate. There were probably more than 40, or forty And I said, in the circumstances too, think of it. We had to get up at four o'clock in the morning. And we didn't get to bed until whatever we get to lie down until three o'clock the next morning. We only had about well, 2 or two at one o'clock next morning. We only had about three hours of sleep at night.
2: I said, if You're gonna fight
1: the bloody tanks at night I said you'd have to have another crew. And, well where are you gonna get the men from? And he said well, at the end of the talk, you wouldn't believe him, two of these. Came up to me and said, David, thank you very much, because that's just what we've been saying to the MOD, and they're not listening to us. He said you were absolutely right. So it just shows, you see, that a lot of the things that we learned and the things that I talk to you about now actually are relevant. The way in which we fought the bloody tanks it would still be the same today to a degree. I agree that they've got better tanks. I agree that you've got helicopters that can hide behind a hill or something and for some reason I don't know how they work it, but they can see over the top and see the tank the other side and they can fire their bloody arm their armor. This goes up and over and down and it's a bloody tank. I can agree also that when we fired it was left a bit and right one, right left one, down one, and all this sort of stuff. Um, whereas now, well, now, I mean, 10, 15 years ago when I went down to the to see the Archer's fire and tank, bang, and it went straight in the target. One hit. We didn't have it like that. You had to do two or three shots before we got them past So you've got to accept that they've learned, you know, improved their thing. I mean, a lot of the information that uh, our, you know, our buggers you know about the second nature um, is relevant.
0: Although they're not there anymore now, so what the hell? We do hope you found this interview of interest. A massive thank you to David for kindly taking the time to speak with us about his experiences. And of course also to you, thank you for listening. And if you wish to find out even more about David's story, and that of the Sherwood Rangers Yeomanry as they fought their way across Normandy and towards the heart of the Third Reich, David has recently released his memoirs, called Tank Action, an Armoured Troop Commander's War, 1944-45, and I highly recommend giving that read. Finally, if you know somebody, a relative or friend perhaps, who served during the Second World War, and is willing to talk with us about their experience, please do feel free to get in contact you can email us either at at lawrenceatworldwisternation.com or rossatworldwisternation.com. Thanks for all your support, and we look forward to you joining us again soon for the next instalment of the Veteran Podcast Archive.